Who decides medicine prices? How are vaccines made? Have questions about the healthcare industry? Welcome to 19 Conversations. Today, we're asking Elizabeth Hermsen, who is Head of Global Antimicrobial Stewardship at MSD, and Bruce Oltervoort, who is Vice President and Head of External Medical Engagement in the Hospital Business Unit at Pfizer, is industry doing enough to tackle antimicrobial resistance? I'm Jackie Davis. Thank you for joining the conversation. So we've heard a lot about antimicrobial resistance or AMR in recent years with some warning it could be the next pandemic. Indeed, I've heard it described as one of the greatest challenges of our age. Bruce, just how big a challenge is it? Yeah, thank you, Jackie. And it's a pleasure to join you and Elizabeth today. It's a significant challenge. The WHO has identified antimicrobial resistance, or AMR, as one of the top five global health challenges that we face as a nation or as a, as a globe and as a community. Globally, AMR causes over 700,000 deaths annually. If no solution is found, the impact is going to get worse. There have been reports that have estimated that AMR could cause up to 10 million deaths annually by 2050 if actions aren't taken. Quite significant. Not only is there going to be a significant impact on health, but the GDP globally could fall by 3.8% and an additional 28.3 million people would fall into extreme poverty. In Europe, specifically, the European CDC has stated that AMR is considered one of the biggest threats to public health in their region. Recently, reports and data from the EARS surveillance system from the European CDC has shown that over 670,000 infections occur in the EU due to bacteria resistant to to antibiotics, and approximately 33,000 people are dying in Europe. So, and the cost again is dramatic with over $1.1 billion uh, in financial impact to the health system. So the numbers are staggering already, and as you say, uh, set to get even worse. Hence, I suppose, why we now have a World Antibiotics Awareness Week that we're in at the moment. Um, But Elizabeth, turning to you, uh, your job title, I mentioned it earlier, you're Head of Global Antimicrobial Stewardship. What do we mean when we talk about AMS, Antimicrobial Stewardship? What is it? Well, that's a great question, Jackie, and unfortunately... Many people equate that term, antimicrobial stewardship or AMS, with somewhat of a negative connotation. So you might hear the antibiotic police or selecting the least expensive drug that's available. And this is because of the way that AMS or antimicrobial stewardship is often practiced today, which is as a drug cost minimization program. But what AMS is really about is responsible antimicrobial use. And so that means choosing the right drug, the right dose and duration for an accurate diagnosis and de-escalating therapy when possible. And this is done in order to optimize outcomes and minimize the unintended consequences of antimicrobial use, which include things like side effects or toxicities, selection of pathogenic organisms like Clostridioides difficile or C. diff, and of course, AMR, antimicrobial resistance as well. So stated a little bit differently, antimicrobial stewardship basically involves multidisciplinary efforts to systematically improve the way that we use antimicrobials 
with the ultimate goal of benefiting patients and population health. And oftentimes when we talk about antimicrobial stewardship, people think about just the hospital setting or the acute care setting, but antimicrobial stewardship can and should be practiced anywhere that antimicrobials are prescribed. So that is how, that is all about how we use the drugs we already have, how we make sure, as you say, we use them, we don't overuse them or misuse them. But on the other side, Bruce, what is the pharmaceutical industry currently doing in terms of developing new antimicrobials uh, and tackling AMR? Yeah, it's it's multifaceted. And, and just to build off of what Elizabeth was speaking about, you know, at Pfizer and across industry, we are driven by our desire to ensure public health and address the medical needs of people suffering from infectious diseases and committed to being a leader to solutions to not just prevent, but also treat people with drug-resistant infections. Industry, FPA companies are committed to advancing the, this leadership We've heard from Elizabeth about the important work that we do around stewardship through medical education, through grants, independent medical grants, to ensure that patients receive only the antimicrobials that they need. Um, Innovative surveillance tools, ensuring that we are tracking where and how resistance is evolving in different countries and different communities to make sure that the patient community have access to the appropriate medicines significant investments in research and development. We'll talk more, I'm sure, about some of those challenges. But as industry, we are investing in in new treatments, new therapies, new vaccines to prevent the infections from starting to begin with. And, And we need to remember the important role of vaccines playing here. And then manufacturing, ensuring that we are applying responsible manufacturing practices to minimize the impact on human health and the environments. And of course, global policy leadership. Companies across FPA and and industry have also organized two very important organizations to address antimicrobial resistance, the AMR Industry Alliance and the AMR Action Fund. The AMR Industry Alliance was established as one of the largest private sector coalitions to provide sustainable solutions to curb antimicrobial resistance with over 100 companies and organizations serving and working together. It focuses in on how to invest in R&D, improving access to medicines, working around appropriate use and stewardship, and again, supporting uh, environmental issues. The AMR Action Fund, finally, was just launched this past July, where the pharmaceutical industry in collaboration with the WHO, European Investment Bank, and Wellcome Trust came together to establish the fund Uh, So far to date, there are over 20 pharmaceutical companies that invested over $1 billion to support the fund. The fund will serve very important process of bridging innovative candidates in the pipeline and investing in companies that otherwise will not have access to funding with the goal of bringing two to four new antibiotics to the market in the next 10 years and really ensuring that we as industry are working together to meet the needs of the patient. That's what you're doing. We'll talk, I hope, in a moment a little bit about what you feel other stakeholders could do. You were talking about significant investment in R&D. How can that be best supported and so on? But Elizabeth, uh, on your side, uh, in terms of antimicrobial stewardship, um, other initiatives that you are supporting could support things that that, uh, the industry itself could do uh, to do even more in this area? Most definitely. I I think most people certainly recognize the industry's role in drug development, 
But many people don't really think about how the pharmaceutical industry can support antimicrobial stewardship. And when I think about this, I think about it in four main categories or or buckets of activities. And Bruce actually mentioned three of these already. So those four categories are education, implementation, research, which includes surveillance, and advocacy. And I'll use the company that I work for, MSD, to provide some more specific examples. But before doing that, I think it's really important to mention that a One Health perspective is absolutely foundational to how we approach antimicrobial resistance and antimicrobial stewardship. So what does One Health mean? Simply put, I would say One Health means communication, collaboration, and cooperation across human, animal, and environmental health in order to protect our shared medicines, our shared environment, and a safe food supply. MSD is in a unique position in this regard because we are, of course, a manufacturer, and we also have human health and animal health businesses. But in the end, I think we all have to remember that we're all on this earth together And we have to work together to be good stewards of the precious resources that we have, which includes antibiotics. So getting back to the four categories, I'll walk through each of those four categories and just provide a couple of examples. And for listeners who are interested in more examples, I'll refer them to a recent article that I co-authored in CID or Clinical Infectious Diseases that was published in the July issue of the journal. So the first category, education. I would highly recommend that listeners check out the CIDRAP Antimicrobial Stewardship website. CIDRAP stands for the Center of Infectious Diseases Research and Policy out of the University of Minnesota. And they were given an independent grant, which Bruce mentioned as a way that pharmaceutical industry can support antimicrobial stewardship. And as a result of that independent grant, they created this microsite, which is designed to engage a global audience, a diverse audience. So again, across human, animal, and uh, environmental sectors. And it's really a great resource. For implementation, you can work with different organizations to create antimicrobial stewardship centers of excellence. And those centers of excellence can serve as regional hubs to train other hospitals. On research, Bruce talked about surveillance, and so MSD has a surveillance program, Pfizer has a surveillance program, and many other companies do as well. And surveillance really allows you to identify resistance trends, detect emerging resistance, and inform treatment decisions. And then the last bucket I'll touch on very quickly is advocacy. And you've heard from Bruce about the AMR Industry Alliance. Uh, We also have partnerships with different infectious disease societies, patient groups, et cetera, to try to bring forward proposals that enable patient access to novel antimicrobials and getting the right drug for the right patient is a key tenant of antimicrobial There's a lot, a lot, a lot going on uh, in this area. So that is in terms of what you are doing on both sides from an industry perspective on both AMR and ANS. Uh, But as you know, Uh, because of COVID-19, particularly at European Union level, there is a lot of discussion at the moment about what policymakers can do uh, in terms of supporting healthcare systems, particularly 
uh, given the threat to their resilience at the moment. We have an upcoming pharmaceutical strategy. We have a new EU for Health program. Lots is going on in the policy arena. As that debate continues, can I ask both of you, uh, and Bruce, maybe to you first, what do you want or what can other stakeholders like policymakers do in order to help you address this, in order to tackle questions like uh, making the business case for significant investment in R&D in this area? Because it's not so obvious uh, that you have the incentives that you need. What do you want from the policymakers and other stakeholders? Action. I would start with action. To date, we have seen a number of very important, influential, independent reports speaking about the tremendous impact this antimicrobial resistance has on the patient, the significant challenges that pharmaceutical companies have in working in this space, the WHO, the UN, European CDC, Wellcome Trust, others have all put out influential reports that have recommendations. We need to move those recommendations and start piloting and taking action. However, I would want to emphasize that this isn't an us or them. It is a collective action and a collective set of responsibilities that we all have, and we all need to be working together to achieve these goals. We all sectors can make progress. We all have specific expertise and specific levers we can pull, and we all need to be working together to, to achieve those goals. There are two important upcoming opportunities um, that you've highlighted. The first is Pfizer, FPA, MSD. We've all been engaged and partnered with the EU Joint Action on AMR for the last three years. That report will be coming out in the next several months, and it will provide a strong framework to work and advance progress. And we need to take that and run with it. Likewise, as you mentioned, the pharmaceutical strategy for Europe um, and the European Commission will be launching in, in the next uh, couple months. And I hope is that there is a plan to address the market failure for anti-infectives. FPA member companies stand by, ready to work with the commission, and again, to partner and work together for solutions to ensure a vibrant and sustainable ecosystem that first and foremost meets the needs of our patients. Okay, so you'll be watching very closely when it's published to see what is proposed in that area and have the conversations you've been having. Uh, do they translate into uh, effective measures and strategies for the future? And on your side, Elizabeth, when it comes to uh, antimicrobial stewardship, uh, is there more that policymakers and others can do to support the many initiatives you outlined earlier the industry is taking? Yes, of course. I think there's always more that we can do. And I'll address four groups, starting with policymakers and governments. And I'll reiterate Bruce's point that governments and policymakers need to be working hand in hand with the industry to help ensure a viable marketplace for anti-infectives. We have some so-called push incentives to help stimulate early stage clinical research, and those certainly need to continue. But at the same time, I would say that we need to see more market reforms to support late stage clinical research or the pull incentives like market entry rewards. And we also need to see reimbursement reform that helps facilitate the responsible use of antimicrobials or AMS like we talked about earlier. And some of the investments that are being made, like for example, the, through the AMR Action Fund that Bruce talked about are certainly outstanding, but it is worth noting that that is a time-limited stopgap 
that will only work if governments actually make the necessary reforms to create that sustainable market for antimicrobials. The second group I'll mention is scientific organizations, and they need to ensure that guidelines are updated and reflect the newest agents and the most recent evidence to help empower clinicians to make the most informed treatment decisions for their patients. And those guidelines need to be disseminated broadly. The third group is clinicians, and clinicians need to make sure that they're aware of the most recent evidence-based guidelines, and they need to be antimicrobial stewardship. So thinking about the way that they're using antimicrobials and become friends with their antimicrobial stewardship teams as well. There are common goals. So they're, they're all trying to provide quality care to patients to achieve the best possible outcomes. And then last, but certainly not least, all of us, everyone has a role to play in antimicrobial stewardship. And this really gets back to the basics. So focusing on infection prevention, which we've heard a lot about with AMR and COVID-19 recently, and this plays a role in communicable diseases in general. So what can we do to prevent infections? It's pretty simple. Stay up to date on your vaccinations, wash your hands, cover your cough, and stay home when you're sick. Thank you very much. That's very reminiscent of some messages that we're hearing time and time again, uh, right at this moment in the context of COVID-19. So hopefully uh, those messages will get through even more strongly than they have in the past. You talked, Bruce, about collaboration and working together, Elizabeth. You identified precisely how all those pieces of the jigsaw puzzle come together to develop an effective, coherent and comprehensive approach. So thank you both very much. This is, as I mentioned earlier, World Antibiotics Awareness Week, and therefore a very important moment to be having these conversations. So I'm very grateful to you both for sparing the time to be with us here today. And thank you very much for listening to 19 Conversations. If you like this podcast, please click on the subscribe button to be the first to know when we release our next episode. And please leave a rating and review. Until our next episode, we'd invite you to join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag questions inspire solutions. Goodbye. <laughs>